please turn with me this morning in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we will be considering verses 35 to 43. So Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. Now, if you recall last week, the story of Jairus begins in 21 and goes to 24, is interrupted by the story of this woman with the discharge of blood, only now to resume in verse 35. And so we're going to start our reading in verse 21. And so we'll read 21 to 43. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about Him, and He was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, If I touch even His garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in Himself that power had gone out from Him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched My garments? And His disciples said to Him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched Me? And He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. And He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when He had entered, He said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Him. But He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they immediately overcome, were overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. 
thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now, throughout this Gospel so far, Mark has recorded stories and events for us in order to tell his audience something about who Christ is. And so Mark has highlighted the power of Jesus. He's highlighted the authority of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. He's highlighted Jesus' identification with His people in His baptism. He highlighted Jesus' defeat of Satan in the wilderness. And He's highlighted all these things as a display to His readers and hearers of the Gospel that Jesus was in fact Christ the Son of God. And our text today is no different as it highlights for us another aspect of Christ's ministry which tells us something about who Christ is. And that aspect of Christ's ministry that we see on display today is one of deliverer. And this isn't anything new for in these first five chapters we have seen Jesus be deliverer. He has delivered the apostles at the end of chapter 4, if you recall, from the storm, right from the winds of the sea. Last week we've seen that He delivered this woman from her discharge of blood for 12 years that she could find no cure for. He delivered early in chapter 5 the man from the legion of demons that possessed Him. He delivered the paralytic, if you remember, who was dropped down before His feet. He delivered him of his paralysis. And likewise, he delivered him of his sin when he, said, when he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. If you recall, he delivered Peter's mother-in-law from her fever. He even delivered the Sabbath from its bondage it was placed in by the Pharisees in their man-made laws and traditions. And so we see that Christ has come to deliver from sickness. He's come to deliver His people from sin. He's come to deliver from demon possession. He's come to deliver us from nature. And He's come to deliver His days that they might be used proper. But today in our text, now we see Jesus as deliverer in another way not yet attested to in Mark's Gospel. And this aspect of deliverance is going to tell us again something about Jesus who He is and what He has come to do. And that aspect that we are going to look at today that is new in the ministry of Christ is Jesus as Deliverer over death. Jesus as Deliverer over death. And this aspect of Jesus' ministry is extremely important because if He cannot deliver us from death, then we have no hope that when we die, we will ever be with Christ again. If Jesus is not the Deliverer over death, then He is only the Lord of the living and not the Lord of the dead. But what we see in our text this morning is in fact, we do have a most certain hope as believers because Christ can and does deliver His people from death's grip. And we see this evidenced by raising this young girl from death to life. And so this morning, we want to take an in-depth look at our text this morning. Allow it to increase our assurance, to elevate our faith, seeing that even death is subject to Christ. And that should serve to encourage and to comfort us, understanding that although life is short, although life is brief, 
Although with it comes many disappointments and disease and sickness and death because of sin, as believers, we do not have to fear death. Because just as Christ conquered Satan, and just as Christ has conquered sin, He likewise has conquered death. And so we're going to look at our text this morning under three headings. The first heading is that faith grows through testing. Faith grows through testing. The second heading is the Lord of life and death. The Lord of life and death. And the third heading is Christ supports new life. Christ supports new life. So point one, faith grows through testing. Now remember last week we said that Jairus is frantic. Right? He's frantic. His daughter is on her deathbed. And he knows his only hope for her to live is to find Jesus. And once he finds Jesus, he has to convince Jesus to come back with him in order to heal her. And we're told what happens. Jairus finds Jesus and he casts himself down before him. And he tells him that his daughter is at the brink of death and Jesus agrees to come back with him. Jairus must be right now on an emotional roller coaster. He was suffering from grief and despair over the life of his daughter. And now he's probably overcome with relief and excitement that Jesus has agreed to come back with him in order to heal his daughter. But then we said, what happened? Jesus, as he starts to head back, stops only to perform another miracle on this woman. And you can only imagine that Jairus' blood pressure skyrockets through the ceiling, right? But we have to see what Jesus is doing here to Jairus. He's using this as an opportunity to teach him. He is teaching Jairus patience. He is teaching him, we must wait on the Lord so that when he heals this young girl and the next pressing issue comes up in Jairus' life, guess what? He's going to remember what the Lord has already done. He's going to remember, I must be patient and wait on the perfect timing of God. And this is what God is doing in all of our lives as He continually tests us He wants us to grow as Christians who are supposed to reflect the image of Christ. And so, oftentimes, if you are impatient, brothers and sisters, you will probably find yourself in circumstances that tries your patience over and over again in order that you might become more patient. If you are short-tempered, you are probably going to find yourselves in many circumstances where you want to snap in order to cause you to become self-controlled. God is constantly testing us and trying us and putting us in these circumstances so that we would look to God in prayer, acknowledge where we are weak, and seek greater strength and mercy that we might overcome in those instances. And so we are constantly going to be put in these instances. But in them, we should learn to ask ourselves, why has God put us here? Because it is not for, you're not placed there by chance. It is not for no reason that you are being put there. You are being put there to learn something. And so we have to ask, what does the Lord want me to learn in this circumstance? Right? Why am I constantly being put in a circumstance in which I see myself constantly failing in? Right? 
We need to ask ourselves to search our souls in depth and then use those instances to grow in those areas of weakness and to grow in our faith. Now we have to remember that as Jairus himself approaches Jesus, he approaches Jesus in faith. He approaches Jesus knowing that if Jesus will come back with him, he will heal his daughter. And we know this by what Jairus says in verse 23. He says, Come lay your hands on my daughter so that she may be made well and live. He doesn't come before Jesus and say to Jesus, "Uh, Can you heal her of her illness right now? Uh, Do you have the ability and the strength? I mean, this is my situation. Do Do you think that you could handle it? No, Jairus goes knowing that he can heal it. Jairus' only question to Jesus is, will you come and heal my daughter? Will you come and do the thing that only you can do? And Jesus agrees. But then what do we see happen in verse 35? Right, Something that strikes a blow to the heart of Jairus. And something that has the potential of striking a devastating blow to Jairus' faith. We are told in verse 35 that while Jesus is speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Right? They say to Jairus, Hey, you gave it your best shot. You've done everything that you could do, but she's dead. There's nothing more to do. Stop troubling the master and let's come back to the house to bury the girl. I mean, what is Jairus thinking right now? His mindset was, if I could get to Jesus and bring her back before she was dead, she would be healed. But never did he think, can Jesus raise her from the dead? Nobody was thinking that. And so what's his reaction to be? Is it going to be like much of the world's reaction when something terrible happens? right? Which is to lose faith and to blame God. right? Is that what Jairus is going to do? Is he going to blame God? Christ here. Right? So often what happens when someone comes down with a, a terminal illness? Right? A lot of times we see that they, they question the goodness of God. Or their family members question the goodness of God. Or what happens when parents lose their children? Perhaps their, parent, their children were killed in a car accident. What happens? They usually turn around and they blame God. Those who once confessed faith have now lost faith, not understanding that God is using these situations to test them. To test them. And the testing produces one of two results. Either it produces the result that I just described, where they lose faith. They say, I can't believe in a God who would do something like this. And so they harden their hearts against Him. Or the other reaction is to say, I know that God is who He says He is. I trust Him. And I know that whatever He is doing in this, He is doing for my good, whether I can understand it or not. And belief then gets stronger. And faith grows through that testing. right? And it proves their faith to be true. And we can really look to, to two prime examples of that in Scripture, can't we? What happens in the story of Job? Right? We're told that the house collapses on Job's children and kills them. And what is Job's response to that? We are told that he you know, tears his garments and he falls down and he worships God. And he says, 
God gives and God takes, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We can also look to Abraham as an example. In Genesis 22, verse 1, we're told that God tested Abraham. He tested him, saying, you've got to go sacrifice your son. How many people today would say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not believing in a God who would ever ask me to do something like that. But Abraham did as the Lord said, and he proved the genuineness of his faith. And now Jairus is at this point in his faith right now. Right? He either can believe what, what Christ has said, or he can walk away in unbelief and in blaming God. Right? Or he can do what Jesus says in verse 33, which is, do not fear, only believe. Right? Jesus says to Jairus, don't pay attention to what they are saying. Don't allow fear to overtake you. And it's in this encounter, brothers and sisters, I want you to see something. That Jesus gives to His people the remedy for fear. And the remedy for fear is belief. It is belief. If any of you right now are dealing with fear, whether it's fear how you're going to make your ends meet, fear about getting a job, fear about your health or the health of another, Jesus is saying unto you, just believe. Don't fear. Trust in me. Trust my word. Right? Believe in my power. Keep your eyes fixated upon Christ. And these temporal tests will only serve to strengthen your faith. Right? We can look again to Abraham as an example for this. Right? Abraham's a good example for a lot of things, isn't he? Right? We're told that he was promised by God a seed. He was promised a seed. And Abraham is at an old age and Sarah is at an old age, but we are told that he believed that God was able to do the unthinkable and cause them to conceive a child at their old age. And what does Paul say of this in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21? He says, In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And Jairus, we might say, is at his Abraham moment right now. Does he believe that Christ can do the unthinkable? He believed that he could heal his little girl, but does he now believe that Jesus can raise her from the dead? And it's in the midst of this that Jairus' faith is going to grow and be strengthened. But brothers and sisters, this is why we are not to pray against the Lord's testings. We are not to pray against the Lord's testings. Because it is in the testing of God that He tames our flesh. It is in the testing of God that He teaches us to trust Him, in which He confirms our faith. It is in His testing that He stimulates us to prayer. It is in His testing that He humbles His people. And so we are never to pray against the testings of God. 
knowing that God's testings only have holy purposes that serve His holy will. And we are never to pray against the will of God. But rather, we are to recognize that in them, God is always doing what is best for His people. As Jairus will come to understand. This then takes us to our second point this morning, which is Lord over life and death. Picking up then in verse 37, we see that Jesus only brings back with Him Peter, James, and John to uh, Jairus' house, the ruler of the synagogue. And when he arrives, what is it that he finds? He finds wailing and all this commotion. Now to the American living in the year 2020, this is going to seem really strange to you. But what is going on here is that these are paid professionals. They are paid professionals. Right? This isn't something that, that we would do today, but this was a Jewish custom. Right? And then the more money that you had and the higher of, uh, esteem you had, right, the more performers you could hire. And what they would do is they would come and they would wail and cry and tear their garments and play instruments to signify to everything, to everyone, that something terrible has befallen this household. But Jesus' response is not like all the others. Because Jesus knows something about this girl that no one else there knows. And that is that she is not dead, but sleeping. What does Jesus say in verse 39 in reaction to what was going on? Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And what is the reaction of those people He made this comment to? What are we told? They laugh at Him. They mock Him. They ridicule Him. And so what's Jesus' reaction? We're told He, he puts them out. Right? This is a much different reaction than He had to Jairus or to this woman who had the discharge of blood, isn't it? But why is that? Oftentimes throughout the Gospels, right, we see God gives grace to the humble. He's compassionate to the brokenhearted. But He casts off the proud and the stiff-necked. Not allowing them to see His miraculous works. Because if they do not believe His words, they will not believe His deeds. And don't we see that in our own life today? Right? How many times do people say to you, unbelievers, you know, prove to me the existence of God. But no matter what proof you give them, it will never be enough. Because if they don't believe in the Word that was spoken, that life-giving Word that brought the cosmos into existence, they're not going to believe anything that they see about the cosmos. But we see here whose side Jairus was on, don't we? Right? He was allowed into the house with Jesus, which means that when Jesus told him, don't fear, only believe, he did. And now Jairus' faith is about to be strengthened and it's going to grow because of what it is he is going to see. As we're told that Jesus now takes this 12-year-old girl and he grabs her hand and he says in verse 41, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, arise. And what was the little girl's response? In verse 42 we read, immediately, the girl got up and began walking and they were immediately overcome by amazement. You see, Jairus, his wife, they were overcome with amazement because they believed Christ's Word. 
And so they seen this miraculous work being done through the eyes of faith, which only served to strengthen their belief in His Word. Right? You see that? We believe His Word, then you're able to see His works, which only serves to strengthen then your faith. Now it becomes clear to those around Jesus that not only is He Lord of disease and demons and the winds and the Sabbath, but He is also Lord over life and death. Right? We've seen in the past that the winds had to obey Him. We've seen in the past that the demons had to obey Him. But now we see that even death has to submit to the power of Christ. It must release its grip the moment Jesus says, little girl, arise. And as a believer, there should be no greater reality than this. That Christ puts life where death has reigned. Christ puts life where death has reigned. And just as He spoke all things into existence, creating and giving life to the world by the power of His Word, He likewise will bring back to life that which has died in this world. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, disease and death was not the intention of creation. Disease and death is a result of the fall. It's a result of the sin of the first Adam. And yet now Christ has conquered these things, being the second Adam. Right? We're told, and Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Right? We're told in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that the reason why Christ came and took upon Himself human flesh was that so that through death, He might destroy the one who had the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And Jesus has accomplished this. He's already defeated death in dying. And now He makes alive through living. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15.22? For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And we see in Christ's exhibition of power in raising this girl from death to life that He is Lord of death and life. And so we have to ask the question to everyone here, is the Lord of life and death the one whom you are trusting in? Because the one who was able to raise this girl from death to life likewise raises the saints from death to life in the first resurrection. And He is also then able to do that for our unbelieving children. He has the power to do that for our unbelieving spouses, for our unbelieving parents. And what hope that ought to give us that the one who is able to raise a dead girl up to life can likewise, if He so chooses, raise up our unbelieving loved ones as well from death to life. But what Christ also demonstrates to us in raising this girl from death to life is that He is making a pledge to His people. He is saying to you, I will return again to raise you up one last time. Right? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. You see, not only does God through Christ 
raise up His people through the first resurrection. Right? Raising us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. But He will also raise up our physical bodies when He returns at the second coming. I mean, what comfort the life, death, and resurrection of Christ left for His people. That we no longer have to fear knowing that death is swallowed up in Christ's victory. Where we can say with Paul as, as we are on our deathbed, or we can say with Paul on the deathbed of a believing child or, spirit, or, or parent, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Knowing that Christ has already conquered death. He has robbed death of any glory that death once had. And yet, in Christ's compassion, not only does He raise the dead to life, but also, as we live upon this earth, He supports and maintains that new life in us. And this takes us to our third and final point, which is Christ supports new life. What do we find in verse 43 after Jesus raises this young girl? Does He just walk away? No, we're told He says, He strictly charged them that no one should know this, and He told them to give her something to eat. Right? Throughout Jesus' ministry, He's performing these miraculous deeds, and He's telling people, don't go around telling everyone about this. Right? It's not yet the time for these works to be widely known. And so He tells this girl's family, right, don't go advertising what it is I have done. But then he says to her family, get this girl something to eat. And in this I want us to see that just as Jesus nourishes and feeds this girl who is now living according to her physical needs, He likewise will support, maintain, nourish, and feed us in our spiritual life in Him. Right? Just as Jesus has raised her to new life, He doesn't just walk away and leaves her alone, but makes sure that she is fed. He likewise, as He raises us up to new life, doesn't just leave us alone, but by His Holy Spirit, He promises to feed us. And He will continually do so. Now, some of the ways that He feeds us is through the Word. And primarily through the preaching of the Word. Right? He feeds us likewise through the sacraments through the Lord's table and through baptism. And He also feeds us through prayer. And so it's vitally important for us as Christians to make diligent and proper use of the means God has given to maintain and to strengthen His church. We are also supported by the Holy Spirit in this life who causes us and enables us to put off the old man and to put on the new man, which is preparing us for the life to come. And Yet we ought to see in all of this that Jesus does this because He loves us. Is not the love of Christ a great thing? Do you see the love of Christ as something to be prized more than anything else in the world? What Jesus does here in taking this girl's hand is demonstrate His love for her. And likewise, for those of us here who He has raised to new life, He takes us by the hand and allows us to walk and stand up in this broken world. And yet all the while that we are being strengthened, we are well aware of this constant battle that is occurring as the remnant of the old man remains. And this ought to cause each and every one of us to look forward to that day when we will be 
perfectly and completely and totally sanctified. And yet that ought to be a reminder to us that we have not reached the goal yet. You see, we must understand that Christ, in raising this girl up from the dead, delivered her from death, but only for a time. In healing this woman with a discharge of blood, He delivered her from her sickness, but only for a time. Both of these ladies continued to grow older. Both of them, I'm sure, experienced many more trials and both assuredly died. Right Through the trials I'm sure they experienced in their life, they needed renewal of grace. They needed renewed strength and energy and endurance. Right, They needed new measures of God's grace in their life in order to overcome the trials that they were in. And I'm sure Christ provided. But the point of that is to say that the deliverance they experienced was only temporal deliverance. It was only temporal deliverance. This is why Christ now through the Holy Spirit uses means to keep us in close fellowship with Him. Because we are not yet where we ought to be. We are not dwelling with Christ as we ought to be beholding the face of God. We are not filled up with all of the fruit of the Spirit to our fullest capacity yet as we will be when we are in heaven in need of no more. This is why Jesus tells us so in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. It is not until this time that we will receive total deliverance. It is not until this time that grief and misery and despair and death will be put away never to be experienced again. But we must continue to believe in Him who is to come. We must continue to remain faithful until the end if ultimate deliverance is what we desire. Like Jairus, we must use these times of testing and allow it to strengthen us in the faith. Not questioning, not doubting, but always fixating our eyes upon Christ and His promises. Knowing that the One who was raised from death to life likewise will raise us from the grave when He comes again. And it's at that time that He will defeat His final enemy, which is death itself. Just as He gave life to Adam and Eve, just as He gives new life to believers today, He will give us everlasting life when body and soul will be reunited. Because just as Jesus is Lord over Satan, and just as Jesus is Lord over sin, He is also Lord over life and death. And so even death must yield itself to Christ. For this is the purpose for why He came. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 9, For to this end, Christ died and lived again that He might be both the Lord of the living and the dead. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who displayed His authority over death and life in raising this girl up to life. And in doing so, He has given hope to the hopeless. And that hope is this that the God who raised up this little girl from death to life still lives. Please bow your heads with me in prayer.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thankful, we are so thankful that you are so faithful and true to it. We ask, Lord, that you would help strengthen our hearts, that we would not fear anything that happens in this life, Lord, but that we would just believe, that we would, in times of trouble, fixate our eyes upon Christ and his promises. And yet we cannot do that apart from the Spirit. And so we, we beseech your throne of grace and we pray for that greater measure of grace that we need as we await that total and ultimate deliverance when Christ returns one day. And Father, we come before you and we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.